0: If you are new, just know um, we are in the time of talking, uh, going through a series in Proverbs. And if you're not familiar with the book of Proverbs, it's in the poetry literature. Uh, in uh, If this keeps popping, I'm going to put this down here because I can be loud anyway. Um, so we're, we're in Proverbs, which is amidst the, the poetry literature, which is uh, in the Old Testament, And here's why this is uh, good for us, right? Because there are certain topics that we want to talk about and get into. um, But at Redemption, we continue to go through the Bible exegetically, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Well, Well, Proverbs doesn't read like that. Proverbs is broken up into kind of topical nuances that breaks into these sections. And so what we did is we're taking six weeks to talk about wisdom in areas, and we're titling it, uh, in dizzying times, wisdom in dizzying times, because we recognize the topics that Proverbs covers keeps us, uh, well, sure and steady, right? Like as Christ is our anchor, it keeps us uh, going into the grain of life in what we talked about the first week. Now, there's a couple different uh, topics we're going to talk about, uh, so we're going to talk about money, we're going to talk about lust today, uh, we're talking about anger, John talked about anger last week, which I think was God's providence, a lot of you guys don't know this, but John didn't find out he was going to preach until Friday night, so he only had one day uh, to prep for that, because uh, me and my family got crazy sick, it was a lot of fun, but, um, but he did that, and he, I think he killed it, and I think he preached that better than I would have, because I tend to be an angry person, um, and he's not, you know, he's not, although, although you weren't here in second service, apparently he kicked all the lights down, which is real cool of him to do. Um, so that's, that's cool. So, uh, anyway, here, here we're, we're, we're going to get into lust, right. And talk about this, but I want to remind you what Proverbs is doing. Okay. It's, it's getting us into the way that things are the way that God has wired certain things, right? So there's certain things that just are what they are, right? Like you, you dip the knife into the peanut butter first and then into the jelly. Never into the jelly, into the peanut butter. That's ridiculous, right? So there's certain things that we just don't be that guy, right? I hope my kids are listening, okay? But there's other big things, right, that, that we, we can recognize in areas of lust or in areas of anger or in areas of money. And then there's these common sense things that Proverbs continues to get at. So um, Corbin and Titus, uh, we, we uh, changed the net on our hoop that's in front of our house. And I gave uh, Titus the net, and it's a nylon net. And um, I'm in the garage working, and um, we, I have a halogen up. And he just thinks it's a good idea to put this nylon net on top of the halogen, right? So he comes running over to me and says, Daddy, the net is smoking. And I want to go, well, no, duh. Like, like, to me, that's common sense, obviously. Yes, you don't put something on a light, especially a halogen light, right? And so there's things as we read Proverbs that you're going to go, well, duh, like, that, that's obvious, and that's what Proverbs is going to do in the areas uh, of lust, and, and we're going to get into Proverbs 5 and touch into a little, little bit of Proverbs 6, but here's where I want to start if we're going to want to talk about lust, and there's three things that I think are important before we get to our text that I just got to get out there um, because I think they're worth acknowledging. So I'm going to try to stay as close to my notes. I, I know I'm normally not like that, but I, it'll keep me on track with a topic like this, but the first thing, there's three things in this. Um, let me just state from the, the jump. Hear me when I say this. Sex was God's idea. Sex was God's idea. That your brain stem would send Pitocin. I think that's the right uh, uh, thing. Your adrenal glands would send adrenaline, right? Oxytocin would eventually uh, uh, come at climate. Like, this is all part of God's design. Like, it wasn't Adam and Eve just playing Scrabble pre-Genesis 3, Two people in the garden by themselves, male and female. What do you think they're doing? Okay? So, so hear me. Listen, I, I need to catch you up front here. Sex was God's idea. The way that it works, the butterflies in your stomach, God's idea. Heightened physical sensitivity, God's idea. And hear me. I'm not trying to be crude or whatever. Climax. That was God's idea. This isn't like a broken part of our humanity that suddenly we're like, well, we've got it right. Hear me, all of this was God's idea. He came up with this. This good thing that you get to enjoy if you're married. This good thing, we're gonna get into that, okay? We've got a lot of singles in in the house, okay? Hear me when I say this, it was all God's idea. Now, if that's true, that leads uh, to a second thing. It lends its hand to a second idea. God never does anything on accident. So he creates sex intentionally. He's not just going, well, I want him to have fun and, and reproduce. No, 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 there's an intentionality behind what he's doing. Now, I would be foolish to not call myself a Christian hedonist, to talk about a joy that God has given us something and not quote Piper. I almost feel obligated to do it. So let, let me say this. This is what Piper says about this idea. God's goal in creating human beings with personhood and passion was to make sure that there would be a sexual language and sexual images that would point to the promises and the pleasures of God's relationship to his people and our relationship to him. Hear this. In other words, the ultimate reason, not the only reason, the ultimate reason why we are sexual is to make God more deeply knowable. So, so let's, let's translate this to food. I've tried to do a good job of translating this to food. When you take a bite into that Chipotle burrito, this is the example I try to give because it is the best restaurant on the planet. When you take a bite into that Chipotle burrito, right? There should be this, wow, this is really, really good, okay? This is really, really good. And, and, and that, in that moment, is never meant to end on that. It's never meant to go, well, that's really, really good, The reason God combined guacamole with rice and beans and whatever they put that, that lemony stuff on the chips and salt on the, whatever it is, when you combine that, that was all God's idea. He's going, ah, Chipotle finally figured out. I've known this thing for like a million years. They, they figured it out. This was God's idea, combining these flavors together. And what's supposed to happen to the Christian in that moment is go, God, you're so good. You're so good. You gave this good gift. And what Piper is saying is what's happening when you have sex, what's happening when you feel like you want to have sex is your body is telling you something. Your body is telling you God has wired you in a certain way and there's a goodness to it, right? There's also brokenness to it, which we're going to get to, but there's a goodness to it that needs to be acknowledged and go, God, you, you created this. You gave mankind this good gift. So, That kind of leads to the last thing, and and I need to say this before we jump in, the the third thing in this. I I just need to look at you real intently and say, listen, ain't nobody trying to kill your pleasure, bro. Okay? Because those first two things are true, ain't nobody trying to kill your pleasure. God is not trying to peg you down and go, no, don't, no, it's evil. It's Listen, that's just not the way. No one reads the Song of Solomon and go, God is such a prude. No, you read the Song of Solomon with your spouse on date night, okay? You see what I'm saying? Like, Song of Solomon and chill. Like, that's what you do, <laughs> okay? So, 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 so hear me hear me when I say this. Hear me when I say this. This good thing that God has given us, right? God is not trying to stop you. It, it's like the teenager. You go to a pool party, and he's chilling on the steps, and he's having a blast. All of his buddies are around. They're in the pool swimming, and you go, hey, dude, why don't you get out there and swim, no, I'm having fun. I'm on the stairs. I, I don't need to go. and swim. well, why don't you go out and swim? I'm, I don't know how to swim. I'm scared to swim. And you sit there and you go, listen, yes, yeah, sure. I guess you're having fun. But at the end of the day, if you would get out there and swim, it's so much better. It's so much better when you, yeah, yeah. God, no, no, I, I don't. But out of fear, out of reluctance, whatever it is, dude don't want to learn how to swim. He doesn't want to enjoy the pool for all it's worth. So hear me. God's not trying to stop your pleasure. I've tried to get my hands on as much C.S. Lewis and read it as possible, and I think Lewis pegs this down even better than Piper does. I think Lewis gets at the heart of this, and obviously Lewis's most famous books um, are the ones that end up being the best. That's why they're shared at the rate they are. And One of his more famous book is called, the books is uh, called The Screwtape Letters, which is essentially this letter that is written from a head demon down to a, a demon that he is discipling. And um, in describing sex or or pleasure at its core, this is what this demon says to this underling uh, underling demon. And I think it's beautiful. Um, And I think I even have it on the screen for you. Listen to what he says. Never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's or God's ground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to uh, produce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasure from which our enemy has produced, at times, or in or in ways, or in degrees, which he has forbidden. Hence, we always try to work away from the normal condition of any pleasure that in which it at least is not. I'm sorry. It is least natural of its maker and least pleasurable. Now, hear this. This is the money line. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. Okay? I need you to hear that last line. He's going, listen, we we can't create pleasure. We haven't been able to do it. But what we can do is we can work humanity away from the way it's supposed to be. And by doing so, hear this line, listen, we're giving them an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. Do you hear that? You want it more. But the return's less. You want it more. And listen, this is why wisdom is beautiful. Because you don't have to be a Christian to know this. Many a men and women have I talked to who do not believe in Jesus, want nothing to do with God, come to the end of their rope and go, listen, I can't deal with this anymore. I've had sex as much as I possibly could. And I can't find happiness. This is just wisdom. God is not trying to stop your pleasure. Hear me. He's trying to heighten it. He's trying to have you speak the language in which he's created your body to speak. This is good news for us. So when we talk about that, let's throw this away. I love how G.K. Chesterton says it in his book, Orthodoxy. I was reading this week. He says this, joy, which was the small publicity of the pagan, is the gigantic secret of the Christian. The, the pagan, the worlds who don't consider themselves Christian, they're not thinking of joy as being the utmost thing. But, but this is our secret. This is what Christianity has. And f- for far too long, the church has tried to, to, to muzzle down and push down this idea of pleasure. But I'm telling you, at the core in which God has created you, this is what we have. This is the secret. You think you have pleasure or joy in this to my neighbor. But, but hear me. That's just half of it. Why do you think you're created in that? That could be made whole within the confines of God creating you in that way. This is over and over and over what God puts in front of us. He desires good things, and sex is a good thing. So, with that, let's do Proverbs 5. I want to say from the jump, um, this is a section of Scripture that is written from a father to a son about the confines of marriage. But I need you to understand it's not meant to end there. It's broader than that, okay? So it's written from this father to this son. Let's say it's a 60-year-old man, um, and he's writing to his 30-year-old son who's been married for a little while, and he's going to walk him through certain things. Now, usually I end my time with Spurgeon, but I think the way Spurgeon sets up Proverbs 5 is the best I've ever heard it. Listen to how he sets up Proverbs 5, okay? Because it's a guy named Solomon, the wisest man ever to write this uh, chapter. Listen to this. He says, if there was a seminar this Saturday in your church and the advertised speaker was King Solomon of Israel, and the subject was sex, people would be hanging from the rafters. So good, okay? Now, we in fact have that very opportunity to hear from the wisest man who had ever lived and who had made some of the biggest mistakes in the area of sexual relations. We dare not miss what this man of experience has to share with us in a frank uncensored yet tasteful man-to-man discussion. That's what we're getting into. If we had Song of Psalm, if we had Solomon come in, the wisest man to walk the earth, and he's going to talk about sex, believe me, there's no open seats. The wisest guy going, now listen, it's not just that. This dude has had women upon women. He's experienced the sexual pleasure that he's looking for. Read Ecclesiastes for days. And he goes, it's vanity. It's it's just, it's, it's meaningless. It's, it's not filling me. There's something more. And so it's this conversation from a man like that talking to his son and he's going to go through four things. He's going to state a reality. Then he's going to talk about, because that's true, there's repercussions of that. And then because there's repercussions, I'm going to tell you how to navigate those things. And then he's going to send us away with a reminder. So imagine Song of Solomon is almost saying, Hey, I want you to walk down this path. There's a dark forest up there. When you get to that dark forest, here's how I want you to handle in the dark forest so that I can get you to the other side. That's what we're reading in Proverbs 5. We're going to go through the whole chapter. I know Kim just read through the first 14 verses. We're going to go through the whole thing. This is what it says. Verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps uh, follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. So let's just, here's the stating of the reality. Um, What I hear when I hear this, before I go verse by verse, is some things just never change. So if you have little kids, right? You have little kids, for some reason, they're drawn to the outlet, right? They're drawn to the burner. And you have to tell them, right, they're putting nylon nets on, on lights. They're drawn to try to kill themselves constantly. That's, if you want to be a parent, it's constant suicide watch, essentially is what's happening. Okay, So, so, so what, what I hear in this, these first acknowledgment is, listen, some things never change. You're going to be drawn to something. That is going to kill you. But, but the language, listen to this. Um, for the lips of a forbidden woman, remember, this. though it's in the confines of marriage, it's bigger than that. This forbiddenness, the forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. Son, look at me. I know that looks good. I know it. I, I know that you haven't seen her breasts. I know. And I know you want to. I know you want to be alone with him. I, I, I know that. But, but it's, it's, it's like, it's like honey, right? It it, it looks, it looks good, but, but listen to this. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Wormwood is, was used for medicinal use, but it's this bitter, bitter, uh, herb. Um, the best way that I think I can explain it is my wife, obviously she's, we're going to be on a dietitian and, uh, she's trying to change our diet to be healthy, whatever. Um, Okay. But one of the things that she slowly transitioned our family from is a higher percentage of cocoa instead of sugar in chocolate, right? So you have 60%, 70%. She's all the way up to like 88% um, cocoa and like very little sugar. So let me tell you about this chocolate, okay? When you look at an 88% bar of chocolate, it looks like chocolate. And you go, I just had dinner. I would like a piece of chocolate, okay? And when you bite into said chocolates, okay? It's just disgusting, okay? Now, Candace has trained her palate to enjoy such terrible things, okay? But hear me when I say this. It looks like chocolate, but it don't taste like chocolate. And this is what he's saying. I know it looks good, but it's bitter. It's bitter. She's not not processing the path of life. It'll kill you. Now, because that's true, listen to this. Um, he states some realities. You're entering into the forest. Listen to, to verse 7. as He, he says this. And uh, I would say 7 through 14, he lays out kind of three consequences if you choose to enter that forbiddenness, that forbidden woman, forbidden man. If you choose to enter into that realm, there's, there's three consequences that Solomon is clear on, that this father says to this son. Here, here's, here's what it is, and I, and I think it's, it's helpful. They're super practical, right? Um, but, but listen to this. Verse 7. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the doors of her house. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of the foreigner. And at the end of your life... Uh, your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors and I am on the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. So this is from the ESV translation. There's another translation called the new living translation, which is uh, trying to explore more of a poetic idea of what it's saying. I want to share that translation with you because I think it's worth reading. Listen to how the NLT says this. Stay away from her. Do not go near the the doors of her house. If you do, you will lose your honor and you will uh, lose to merciless, merciless people. All you have achieved strangers will consume your wealth and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. Okay, let's just stop there. Here's, I think the first warning. If you want to explore this path, if you want to go down this way, hear me, you'll lose everything. You'll lose everything. Now that that's super practical in that the men and women that I've talked to that have committed adultery, man, usually unless God steps in and ends in divorce, you see your kids less. They end up losing the house. I mean, because of that, their life tends to spiral. They lose their job because you enter into that world. I think his warning is you'll lose everything, but, but, but hear me. I don't think it's just the practicality of substance. I, I think there's also at the core, listen, that slowly is going to eat away at your soul. You'll lose whatever ethics you think you had, whatever morals you think you had. Merciless people will take what you've worked for. And there's a tangibleness to this, but I think it's more than just that. Beware of that. In in, in Proverbs 6, uh, the chapter after this, it says, can a man hold fire to his chest and not be burned? Be careful. Wisdom is putting in front of you something very practical. If you choose to enter that house, if you choose to continue to go after the forbidden, you'll lose everything. Now, it doesn't end there. Listen to, to verse 11. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. The second thing is not just in lose, Well, you lose everything. You'll suffer when you lose everything. Now, this may sound like fear-mongering. I get it. Sometimes the Bible can come off and goes, uh, you do this, you're going to get an STD. Okay. But hear me, it's, it's more than just that. It's more than just uh, physical repercussions of this. Um, I, I know men and women who are addicted to pornography— And, like, there's a a, a eroding of, like, they hate themselves. There's self-hate. There's depression. Eventually, things begin to sink in because what you thought you can have in that, it's this chasing. It's an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. It's going away. And hear me, at the end of the day, you you will suffer. Wisdom's just being super practical with you. You want to go down that path, you'll suffer. Yes, physically, you go far enough down that path, you will suffer at the end of your life. But that's also true very tangibly spiritually. The third thing that that I think is worth noticing. And when we carry fire too close to our chest, verse 12 through 14. And you say how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Here's the last thing that I think wisdom is putting in front of you. If you walk that path, brothers, sisters, not to be cliche, hear me you will live in regret. Just and this is like this is dealing with the, like the the weight of what have i done. Man just pick up psalm 51. Here's David thought he can take another man's wife, have that man killed and then feel the weight of that sin. Read it. He's broken over at the end of your life you will go, why didn't i listen? Why didn't i listen? I thought, and I was convinced, and I was tricked. Why didn't I listen? I think there's, um, NLT says this at the end really, really well. How I hated discipline. If, I, if only I had not ignored all the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? instructors? I have come to the brink of utter ruin, and now I must face public disgrace. It's going to come out, and you're that guy you're that girl. And so I'm just being honest and right. Like whether you like it or not, you're going to live in regret. You're going to suffer and you're going to lose everything. And though that sounds like fear mongering, let me take you back to the beginning and remind you he's for your utmost pleasure. I'm not taking Corbin at six months and slapping his hand when he reaches for the outlet because I hate him. I want him to associate sticking a paper clip into the outlet as bad. And if that means pain for him to know that's bad. I remember doing that six months. He did it. He did it. He did it again. Very and he's, and he's smart. Wasn't showing it early on. Okay. And I did it to eventually I smacked his hand. And I remember he came to the outlet, walking into the hall. He realized it was there. And he walked like this down the hall around the outlet. And I was like, okay, he gets it. Okay. So so hear me, though it feels like fear-mongering, God loves you. God loves you. And he's putting a reality in front of you. Now, I love that it doesn't end there because here's what Proverbs and wisdom is doing for us. uh, Solomon is is going, because that's true, because you'll live in regret, your body will suffer. Because all these things are true, let, let let me tell you some ways to act. I love it. I love it. You're entering into the dark forest. Let me tell you some ways to act. Verse 15, it's almost like if you can think um, like, hey, you've got cancer, so I need you to change your diet. I need you to change your exercise routine, whatever it is, right? So this is, a, this is, this is something that is bad, so we need to adjust. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad streams of water in the streets let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you let your forbidden or I'm sorry let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth a lovely deer a graceful doe let her breasts fill you all uh, uh, all times with delight be intoxicated always in her love why should you be intoxicated my son with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress. Listen to the NLT says this section, I think really well. Drink water from your own well, share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets, having sex with just anyone? So um, if you can imagine, if you're not familiar with well language, right? If if I'm in an area where we, we gather water from, this is where we get nourishment from. This is where I'm going to get nourishment. I'm going to survive water down in the well. And wisdom is just going, don't wander from that. You're getting nourishment there. You're being taken care of there. And that well over there, we've never tried that water before. You've never tried that water before. And the question is why? Now, that why question is huge. Listen to as he goes on. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing to you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving dear, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breast of a promiscuous woman? Now, all this I think is beautiful, but I, I think there's a the question in the NLT that is worth stopping to ask for a second. And it's just the question, why? Now, now the the men and women that that I've been with and experienced um, people who have committed adultery are always on the back end of that question. They look at themselves in the mirror and go, why did I do that? I just like destroyed my family. Why did I do that? Or, Or men and women caught in pornography or continue to have sex before marriage. There's this constant Christian conviction, still small voice going at the end of it going, why? Why did I do that? What was I hoping to gain? What more did I think there was? That why question is huge because I I think it begins to wrestle with, um, the Christian worldview. Why? Right? Like, um, before we read our our, our last uh, section of scriptures, I think let's just acknowledge that culturally that why doesn't have to be asked. Meaning this, um, I was just meeting with a pastor uh, this week and he was telling me, we just were sharing stories and he was telling me about how he got saved. He got saved in high school. He says he was 17 years old. He ends up uh, getting introduced to Christ, following the Lord. And the first time the youth group had like the sex talk, you know, classic. Um, and so they, they started to talk about abstinence and he goes, when he first started to talk, my buddy that I was talking to the pastor, he goes, I thought he was joking. I literally laughed out loud. like, he like looked at his buddy and he goes, wait, I can't tell. Is he being serious or not? And I think that's such a great cultural observation. Talk to any teenager, right, who who wouldn't consider themselves Christian, who wouldn't have parents try to uh, at least ask that question why, and it's just assumed. Because you can, you should. Now, we fall all the time for this lie. We fall with it with technology because your kids can from the moment they get home from school, watch the iPad. The big question is, should they? But because we can, we feel like we should. And I think this why uh, gets at the heart of the Christian worldview. Just because that well is available. Just because that promiscuous woman or man or whatever it is in the confines that this broad analogy is painting for us. Hear me. Why? Why would you do that? Let's just stop and ask that. Why? Maybe You think it's fun. It brings pleasure. But I've tried to lay down a foundation early on you're the 17 year old on the steps at that point, bro. You're not swimming. Why? Why do that? That's, that's just, and I'm not going to throw out that. Well, you can have like, cause some of you are single. So I'm not going to say like, well, you can have steak at home or hamburger now. No, listen, I, I, what, what I'm trying to put in front of you, some of you singles are going, well, I ain't got a graceful dough at home, bro. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so there, there's something more going on here. There, there's something more going on here. Isn't there? Right, and I think um, as a good reminder, um, let me read the last section of verses because there's something to be acknowledged. The reason that Solomon uses this this wisdom uh, uh, in the analogy of marriage, right? So let's read the last three verses. For a woman's ways are before the eyes of uh, I'm sorry, for well, man's and woman's. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline and because of his great folly, he is led astray. The acknowledgement is, well, why would I not? Proverbs wisdom is going to go, well, because God is watching you and he cares about you. And he's saying that is the wrong way to do that. So, so that's just the Christian view, but, but let's step back because here's a father talking to his son in the confines of marriage. Listen, bro, You're 30 years old. You've been married for 10 years, eight years, five years. You feel like you're growing content. And some of you are 40, 45, 50. You feel like you're growing content. Let me just like to the men, just specifically real quick. Like you're looking at your wife and you're going, yeah, I've, I've, I've had her. And, 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 and the father in this moment is going, listen to me. Why, why go to another? Well, like, let's ask that question why? Well, I can go there, but but at the end of the day, listen, you know she's going to grow old too, right? You know you'll grow tired of her at the end, right? So you're missing something. There's something more to this. It's it's not just you having sex with someone else. There's something deeper going on here, and I think this is why marriage is the perfect example of this. Uh, There's a guy named David Hubbard, uh, who um, wrote a commentary on the Song of Solomon. Listen to what he says, why the importance of uh, Proverbs 5 is written in the confines of marriage as this analogous thing for us as a church to grab onto. He he says this, uh, the Bible is ultimately a book about marriage. Sex Sex in the Bible is the chief arena of the brokenness of sin. So what he's saying in this moment is, um, if you look at the Bible, it starts with marriage, it ends with marriage, Uh, Ezekiel 16, uh, the book of Hosea, God continues for some reason in dealing with you and I in this marriage type relationship going, when you commit sin, when you sin in general, forget lust, it's like a husband having his wife cheat on him. Can you get your mind around that? That's what it feels like. This is more than just following the seventh commandment. Thou shall not commit adultery. This is giving yourself away to someone else. And I don't mean a person. I mean you becoming a slave to something else. Putting another God before you. That's why marriage is perfect. This analogy plays out because you don't got to be married. You're going to be going to the singles class. You're going to be processing it. I don't have this. I don't have the breast promiscuous or not. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to deal with this. And at the end of the day, it's not about the lust. It's not about the sex. It's about God caring more about you than you care about yourself. And saying, though you think this is the right way to do it, every time you go off kilter, every time you follow a different path, you're giving yourself away. And hear me, I don't mean in like the poetic movie, you're giving your butterfly or rose away type type language. No, no, hear me. You're giving a part of who you are to something else. Dare I say, using demonic language, someone else. You've believed a lie. Like Wormwood, the demon in tape he's tricked you. He's got you coming back for an ever-decreasing return. He owns you. And because God knows that, he looks at you and goes, but you're my bride. You're my bride. You belong to me. And every time you go after him, you're committing adultery against me. Now, back to the why question in all this. Let, let me explain why not. As a Christian, let me explain how I would um, juxtaposition when wisdom asks, "Man, why why would you go do that?" And here's why I would go. Here's exactly why you shouldn't L- listen to. I don't have it on the screen, so I want you just to listen. First Corinthians chapter six. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexual moral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? You ready for this money statement? Whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The opportunity to say, listen, you can enjoy alcohol to the nth degree. You can get drunk when you leave here. You could start right now if you brought it in the auditorium, but, but hear me just because you can, and God puts parameters around. It says, enjoy, enjoy wine, brew alcohol, enjoy it. But when you go to this point, I'm telling you, you have stopped enjoying it for what it's worth. And in the same way, he's going, listen, yes, I know those adrenal glands are pumping. I know that I made you that way, bro. I know you want to have sex. I know you desire those things. And I'm telling you, if you navigate it on your own, if you listen to this demonic voice, if you hear that and you follow that path, you're gonna suppress the ultimate pleasure I'm trying to afford you right now. So listen to me. Be patient. I know you're 20 years old, you're never gonna find a spouse. Oh, Lord, you're 20. I know, but trust me, I've made you this way intentionally. And hear me, you have a body. So, so, so hear me, what do we do in our body? Everything you think, you act, you work, you have sex all in your body. And he said, glorify me in this way. And this is what I'll leave you with. Cause I think it's worth um, uh, pointing out that same chapter right before um, the apostle Paul makes that statement in first Corinthians. He says this, this is ultimately why listen, cause it's more than just not following the seventh commandment. It's putting another God before God. He says this. Let me just remind you of the work of Jesus. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Hear me. Listen. God has already made you perfect. He's already made you that perfect. Sanctification is the process of getting to where God has already made you. Jesus on the cross is encapsulating your eternity. Hear me, you will spend eternity with a resurrected body that doesn't have to worry about this stuff anymore because the mixture of your desire gets all muddled. It gets muddled, I know. You're desiring things, maybe you woke it up too early. You're desiring things, maybe you shouldn't. It's all muddled. There will be a day when that won't be true. So so hear me. Jesus has already made you that way. You've got to train your bodies to know that's true. You've got to remind yourself, Hebrews 10:14, He made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. You've been made perfect forever, though now you are being sanctified. I'll read it again. You are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. If you are a Christian, He has saved you, you are washed. That garbage that that demonic voice continues to tell you you need is a lie. It's not for you. My prayer is that we would listen to wisdom. We would listen to this father, Solomon, calling out to his son, saying, man, don't go down that path of the forbidden woman. Don't go to that forbidden well. Trust God and what he's doing in your life in these areas. And I promise your ultimate joy will be found. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. I know I'm grateful for your goodness towards us and your grace. A topic like this can be really awkward, um, but just the gamut of people in this room, I I would pray for. I would pray for the the, the, the 10, 11, 12-year-old who's going into his teenage years, who's going to be told he's gay if he doesn't do this, or he's gay if he doesn't do that, or she's gay if she doesn't do this or doesn't do that. I pray for their heart to be protected. I pray, God, for strength and endurance for that person. God, I pray for those who are removing themselves from adolescence and um, looking for a spouse. Um, I pray, God, that you um, you would encourage them, Spirit, even now, that you would remind them that you care about their utmost joy, I pray for those who have um, committed themselves to a lifelong uh, bout of of celibacy. I I pray, God, that um, if singleness is something you've called them to, and there are a few in the room who have said that, I pray you would give them strength and endurance to look around the culture at us and recognize that marriage is not the answer. God, that they would see you, and they would know that they are married to you like all of us have been. I pray for the man who is married in this room, I pray that though his eyes desperately desire to wander, his mind desires to go to fantasy, his hand desires to click, Holy Spirit, if you are dwelling within that man in this room, that you would remind him that he is believing the lies of the demonic, prince of the power of the air, that spirit that is still at work in the sons of disobedience. I pray for the woman who feels like she's losing contentment, who feels like she can find some type of happiness and joy, or maybe out of bitter um, uh, response to how she is being treated, she would desire to go to another well. I pray, Holy Spirit, remind her you are the great husband, that you care for her, that you love her, that you desire her utmost pleasure. And then lastly, Um, I just pray a prayer of thankfulness for those in the room who've been married 20, 30, 40, 50 years. As a young church, we need them, and I'm grateful you've brought them to us. I'm thankful for the faithfulness that they've shown. I pray that we can cling to watch how those men love their wives diligently. As wives, they serve their husbands diligently. As a church, we would acknowledge that faithfulness. We would celebrate that faithfulness. God, thank you for wisdom, for guiding us, that we would not hate ourselves. We would listen to our teachers in your word. We love you. In your name we pray, amen.